Hello, and welcome to another episode of Desert Island Dishes with me, Margie. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, do subscribe to this podcast because, well, why wouldn't you want to? (laughs) Something truly lovely happened this week. One of my best friends sent me a message and said that after listening to all the Desert Island Dishes episodes and hearing everyone's childhood memories... She wanted to really try to learn to cook so that her children might also have lovely memories of her cooking. How lovely is that? Not gonna lie, brought a little tear to my eye. This week, I met the wonderful Sophie, who is just great, a real inspiration. She is one busy lady, and I was so happy that she agreed to be on Desert Island Dishes. One of her little kittens plays a starring role in today's episode. And I never considered myself a cat person, but by the end of the interview, I was trying to figure out ways I could smuggle him away in my bag. He was just so teeny and cute, and he took a real shine to me, which I have to admit, felt good. Snacks at the ready for this episode, people. It's full of delicious things. You have been warned. My castaway today is Sophie Michelle. Sophie comes from a long lineage of avid foodies and professional cooks. She decided at the age of 15 to pursue a career in cooking, and at the age of just 19, she was crowned Young Chef of the Year. Sophie has gone on to cook all over the world for a whole host of A-list clients, including Claudia Schiffer, Leonardo DiCaprio, and both Princes William and Harry, to name just a few. Sophie became the UK's youngest female executive chef, taking over from Mark Hicks at Belgrave's Hotel in London. She has her own restaurants. She's carved out a career as a successful TV presenter, food writer. She's written seven cookbooks and she was part of Channel 4's smash hit show, Cook Yourself Thin, and co-wrote the book of the same name that went on to sell hundreds of thousands of copies. Wowie, welcome, Sophie. Hello. (laughs) So I'm going to start with a really serious question straight off the bat. Cooking for Leonardo DiCaprio, tell us everything. Yeah, obviously that was the hardest job I've ever had to do in my career. (laughs) I feel really sorry for you. I mean, it was a very, it was a very small period of time, but I, when he was filming Inception, I was cooking uh, for him on set and yeah, it was great. He, he's beautiful. That is so cool. Possibly the coolest job I've ever heard. Sophie, your CV is so impressive, it's hard to know where to start. But I'm going to start at the beginning. You decided at the age of just 15 that you wanted to be a chef. And not only that, but you went out there and you started training. What was it about cooking that made you decide that's what you wanted to do? It was kind of lots of different levels. So I love eating and that was my first drive. And actually, I never, I didn't plan to be a chef as such. I want to do something more academic I suppose but um, I was quite ill with kind of glandular fever and and when I moved on to ME when I was about 13 14 I had a lot of time off school and I just realized that my passion really was in food and I had started cooking when I was when I was a kid with my mother and grandparents and stuff so it was a natural progression and I left school early I didn't do any GCSEs or anything actually which I which which worked for me but I wouldn't work for everyone I suppose yeah and then just got into kitchens and I found cooking to be very therapeutic at the time so so with me being ill and being at home a lot, cooking was something which was very solid and I could really control and also something very creative and very beautiful. So yeah, I loved it. That's so interesting. And how did you find working in professional kitchens, A, at such a young age and B, 
as a woman? I loved it. But you have to remember, I was a child when I started working kitchens, essentially, and I didn't really know anything different either. So I absolutely adored it and thought it was fantastic. And I still think it's fantastic. It's very interesting with all the Harvey Weinstein stuff coming out. Yes. But, you know, in retrospect, I just didn't understand necessarily some of the sexism or some of the unnecessary you know maybe unnecessary advances from men etc and we look at after we open now we know it's male chauvinist industry but we know that there's a lot of male chauvinism across the board in all industries definitely um so so i absolutely loved it and i and i still love it but it, it certainly made me quite a kind of strong character yeah which is no bad thing but I, yeah when i worked <laughs> in a restaurant i've never been more aware of the fact that I'm a girl. Yeah. Everything's an innuendo. Everything's an innuendo. I mean, you know, swearing's wife, I don't have an issue with that, but you know, some people, it's not necessarily what you want to work in around all the time. And also, you know, you're, I was always the only female in all the kitchens I ever worked in. I know. And um, is it the old age thing that men are chefs and women are cooks? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it is really sexist industry when it comes to that. I mean, when it, you know, women are always cooks in the kitchen at home and always when it's a, a slog and there's no recognition for it. Yeah. As soon as it comes to making money, it's men's um, department. So that, that, that's not like that anymore, thankfully. But yeah. yeah, it used to be. And I mean, I still get people coming up to me and going, oh, well, you don't look like a chef. And I'm like, well, what is a chef supposed to look yeah, like? Yeah. I'm so quite true. girly. I'm quite feminine. That doesn't mean I can't cook. And, uh, and you know, when I started at Belgraves, I'd have suppliers calling me trying to pitch for my business. And they'd say, you know, call up and say, can we speak to the head chef, please? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, speaking. And they were like, no, the head chef. <gasps> no. Yeah, I'd just be like, yeah, I'm still the chef. Oh, I my would goodness. swear at generally. Also, they're trying to get your business. I know. Like, put the phone down. Yeah, epic fail. <laughs> on that one so it still happens but okay let's move on to the first desert island dish of the day and that is the dish that most reminds you of your childhood so this without a shadow of a doubt is like a roast chicken dinner mummy would always she was obsessed by organic chickens or or free-range chickens well before everyone else was sorry my kitten's now jumping on us (laughs) and she would always have very good produce so we'd always have lemony beautiful lemony garlicky roast chickens roast potatoes the works and she'd be obsessed by making really good gravy and she still now tells me how to make my gravy because she still thinks hers is better what, what is, is the not. secret <laughs> so you haven't used her recipe yeah no i have i still do actually <laughs> what is the secret to well really I, d- I did it was published in a magazine actually you know i it's you have to cook a, you do a roux so you have all the juices and the fat from a chicken tray yeah. a little bit of flour um i use spelt flour now actually but you have to cook it out and she would always be obsessed by you have to cook it out for at least one minute and then you add a good bit of white wine a bit of veggie stock some soy sauce good bit of seasoning Ooh, soy sauce yeah that's trick Ooh, that's the secret yeah you tried to glide over that <laughs> <laughs> and and you know actually just make it flavorsome so yeah. a good bit of a little spoonful of red currant jelly sometimes goes in or a bit of sherry it all changes you've got my kittens now adopted yeah, I you do. she seems to really like me <laughs> so i first came across you on your hugely successful cooking show cook yourself thin which was on channel four Tell us, how did that come about? You know, that was, it was such a funny show. And actually, Gizzy Erskine is still now one of my best mates. It was, it was a bit like Sex in the City cross cooking. And they they just did an audition for it at Channel 4. And, uh, and we rocked up and all got, got thrown together but it was a great show and I that's think it, so cool because yeah. the chemistry between you guys you did kind of feel like you'd been friends for ages really that's yeah. good yeah. yeah it really worked I think it, it struck a chord because it wasn't preachy yeah and it was quite glamorous and a bit kind of um frivolent fr- frivolous and uh, the food was good you know yeah it wasn't about so for anyone who may not have seen it it was you cooked healthier versions of 
people's favorite foods and you had quite a cool contraption that I guess was kind of like an incinerator yeah that you kind of reduce the food to charcoal and then you worked out the calories yeah, from that. yeah. I, I can't remember fun. if it was actually a real machine that actually worked oh don't ruin the no, illusion don't. Sophie <laughs> no no it was great well, we did you know we all of our recipes were, were highly monitored by nutritionists and we would always be you know really just reducing the calories by about two-thirds normally and it was basically premised you could drop a dress size in six weeks and it worked it yeah, worked. and it wasn't crazy either. Like no, not, at all. not using fish and yeah, chips. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just like small changes. To it make was them. proper food, and yeah. the book still sells really well. And it? yeah, you know, I mean, it's that great doesn't fun. surprise me. It was a great book. Yeah, thank you. Okay, let's move on to the second desert island dish of the day, and that's the first dish that you learned to cook. The first dish I actually remember learning to cook would be actually Victoria Sponge with my grandmother. So my mother used to do really good savoury dishes and she'd be fantastic, you know, classic French cooking and all that sort of stuff. And then really obsessed by whole foods and, and macrobiotic for a bit as well. But um, the first dish would be Victoria sponge and I would do blue and green marble sponges. Oh my goodness, that sounds cool. What, with your granny? Yeah, I'm going to show it to oh, you afterwards. Oh, cool granny. <laughs> that sounds delicious. You have written seven books, which is amazing. You're sort of on your way to creating your own library. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, I'm very lucky because it is lovely to have a product on the shelf that you yeah. can really kind of pick up and look at. And it's so interesting for me. It brings back memories because my first book I did when I was 22, 23, and it has quinoa in it. It has avocado on toast in it. Does it? Yes. Well, because I ha- is that irresistible? Yeah. Yeah, I have irresistible and I have fabulous food. Thank and they're you. Both brilliant. Which has been your favourite book to write? Actually, I really do like Chef on a Diet, the last one. Yes. Um, and the Total Greek Yogurt one, because all my family live in Greece, so I could bring out all the Greek recipes that That's I have at so home. Cool. And the next one is coming out in May, and it's Baking Without Sugar. Yes. And it's all about, well, completely flour, uh, gluten-free and sugar-free baking. And uh, it's it's kind of based around um, diabetics, um, diabetic-friendly recipes as well, because there's not much on the market um, that diabetics can actually have. Or if people really want to avoid sugars properly, technically they can't have maple syrup dates, all that sort of stuff. So oh, yeah, of course. It, it's it's really low GI, proper low GI um, cake recipes. And so what do you use instead of... Well, I use xylitol and stevia, which are both natural sweeteners. And, you know, from a diabetic's point of view, uh, having a natural sweetener is far better than having a natural sugar. Basically, okay. And I'm a okay. So, um, so they really work well. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I mean, it looks amazing. awesome. Yeah. As it, it's been photographed by David Loftus. I mean, who's epic. Yeah. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, I don't know where you've been, but he obviously does all Jamie Oliver's photos. I mean, what a great project. Well, he's brilliant. And he's, he's done two books now for me. And I just really like working with him. He's uber professional, very, very quick and just gets the most amazing shots every time. So he's a genius. How excited. So when's that out? Uh, Next May. Next May. And so the sugar-free aspect, is that something that's just sort of evolved naturally or is that for this particular project? Is it how you live? Well, you know, it's very difficult for me because I principally a chef and then of course I'm very interested in healthy eating but being the chef part of me means I have to taste things all the time and I do consume quite a lot of different calories and different kind of foods all the time but I do need to be careful from my health point of view so I've been diagnosed as pre-diabetic okay which is insulin resistant which is where it came about was I was just like there's nothing on the market that I can eat yeah. which which is you know sweet and tasty and lovely but um not isn't going to damage my health so yeah. that's why that came about really but I do eat fast too much. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that, Sophie. (laughs) Right. Moving on to the third desert island dish of the day. What is the best dish you've ever eaten? 
This is so, so difficult because there's so many dishes that I've eaten which have been absolutely amazing. I mean, for me, it's always the most memorable food is always when I'm by the sea, actually, and having really amazing seafood. Yeah. So every year we go down to Rick Stein's um, Christmas Festival in Padstow. Oh, amazing. Which is brilliant. It's coming up soon. And we do a barbecue on the beach. And honestly, I'm not going to make everyone jealous, but it's got like Angela Hartnett comes and does a dish. Mitch Tonks brings a dish. You know, Rick brings some nice wine and food and we just sit there and I've got these amazing chefs around me oh, and we goodness. all cook and eat this most amazing Wait, food. Wait, is that just a social occasion? Yeah. Oh, that's not something that's people can buy tickets for to. That's kind. No, that's just our lunch. <laughs> oh my God, Sophie, living the dream. I, know, I do love that weekend. I and mean, then in the evening we have dinner at Rick Stein's seafood restaurant, which is just, I love so much. Oh, the Singapore I, crab. I feel really sorry for you. <laughs> the Singapore, Singapore crab. Yeah, that is like a desert island dish, definitely. Oh, Yum. So I read something that I just loved. It said, when Sophie became a chef, her love affair with food meant her figure suffered from being able to cook and eat whatever she fancied. And I feel exactly the same. It's so dangerous to only ever be minutes away from exactly what you want to eat. Well, yeah, it's really, it's really difficult because I do have this constant kind of thing of, I was always size 8 to 10. And now Honestly, I'm more like size 12 to 14. I don't really, I mean, I don't really feel bad about it anymore because I have actually just bought a whole new wardrobe over the past few years. You look great. Giving up a coast on that one. <laughs> but, um, but it's about being healthy. So now I don't worry too much about my weight, but I do worry about being healthy. So yeah. I do exercise quite a lot. I do kind of watch what I have in terms of sugar. I try not to eat too much gluten. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's been a real shift in the way that we look at health and yeah. food and it's not just about what dress size you are it's about being no. healthy because at the end of the day that is what matters yeah and also I've I've done these diets and also from a health point of view I've had to do some very strict diets with this diabetes um diagnosis and um I'm not my happiest person when I'm when I'm worried about eating yeah all the time I'm not the happiest person and and you're make... probably not that fun to hang out no with. I'm not at all you can ask my <laughs> husband you. yeah one <laughs> it's, true. No, it's true it's not a happy vibe in my house when no. I'm trying to starve myself <laughs> so um so I think now it's I just you know come to a conclusion but as long as I'm relatively balanced with the exercise levels and good when I can be then it works really. yeah also when I was training as a chef I found it really interesting that all the things that I love most in the world were mainly made of butter and sugar. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting to yeah, see yeah, yeah. that. And it kind of, oh, okay, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be eating five brioche at a time because oh, that is basically just, it. I know, but it's basically just like four blocks of butter, isn't but it? But <laughs> you've got to come to terms with, the, you know, the level of happiness that you get from eating what you want. And then, you know, the level of happiness you get also from feeling good about yourself. Yeah, yeah. And just balance it all out, really. I yeah, think. definitely. That is, yeah. That's Three or once key. a week. Yeah. <laughs> Twice a week. <laughs> so the most important question of the day, Sophie, it's the fourth Desert Island dish. And it's <clears throat> what is your favorite sandwich? You know what? This is so surprisingly difficult. Oh, actually, I will say, and this is just such a naughty sandwich, but um <laughs> I love good brioche. Can I do grilled? Can I do a hot of sandwich? Of course, yeah. <laughs> so lovely sourdough bread, buttered on both sides, and then you layer up gruyere, vintage cheddar cheese. And what else did I used to put on it? Gruyere and vintage cheddar cheese, I think, yeah. And English mustard, my grandmother's sweet apple chutney. And then you just cook them in a frying pan with a weight on, flip side. So it's really crunchy on the outside and gooey mustardy. Oh, my goodness. That, I mean, double cheese. That, yeah, yeah, double cheese. You've got to get gruyere for the kind of stretch aspect. Yeah. And the melty bit. And then you've got to get the, the cheddar for the kind of punch. Yes. Good. It's all good. Also loving the sound of your granny's chutney. Yeah, it's really good recipe. Yeah, that sounds really good. 
So Sophie, you have run two restaurants and now you currently have the gorgeous kitchen at Heathrow Airport, which is such a great idea. Like I love the idea of having an exciting restaurant at the airport. You set it up with four other chefs, I believe. Yeah, three, three other female chefs. And yes, having catering at the airport was it's been, always been a dream of mine. I mean, I mentioned it to one of my you know, agents many years ago and she's like, it's never going to happen. You've got no idea how hard it is to get into airports. And, this, and then, you know, this kind of, opportunity came about and it's absolutely amazing and I've worked with all the girls before um it's Caroline Milartis, uh G Charman and um Joe Pratt we've all got really kind of strong areas of food which we love which are all quite different so yeah. coming together was perfect and we're in our fourth year now we've just signed another four-year contract and it got voted best airport for the rest I know of the year saw, of the world or something I, I saw that how exciting yeah yeah so great. great what so First of all, I love that you sort of said it to someone and they just straight away shot you down. Oh, yeah, like, no way, that's never going to happen. <laughs> that so. happens all the time. Um, but then how, so how did you make it happen? Well, essentially the holding company who, who have, you have to have a lot of experience in catering in airports. So there's a lot yep. of complex issues to do with security and build and everything. You know, it's a yep. different kettle of fish from having a restaurant on the street. So they came to us basically and said, look, we manage, we manage these areas. Uh, we want to pitch to Heathrow and would you like to be involved? Oh like, my God, yes, that's great. Yes, 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 yes. And it's going so well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're very exciting. lucky. Okay, we're on to the fifth Desert Island dish of the day. And that is the dish that you eat the most often. You know what? I have such a massively crazy varied diet, but I do make quite a lot of Asian food. So I will just do a, you know, do a really lovely kind of Thai cafe lime leaf curry quite often at home with some brown rice. Yes. That's the kind of we'll go to go-to dish and actually we do have um we do have these epic roasts every sunday <gasps> so that is my thing and i yeah i know so i'm desperate to talk about it really but we had a really special please, guest please talk about it <laughs> i gotta get told off by my husband oh, well, i was i was just admiring your beautiful yes, admiring of flowers. flowers which came from Pierce brosnan <laughs> so yes i had um james bond at my lunch table last weekend i mean that is just the coolest yeah i mean we do do big lunches from like 10 people every single weekend because when we're in london which isn't very often it's just nice to try and see everyone at the same time yeah so and nice. doing a roast is so easy so, so what um, did you make james bond we did we did, what did i do i did a big load of lamb and some pulled slow roasted pulled pork Ooh, cauliflower double meat yeah well yeah. Like just it's easy sometimes to yeah. do that for people but a truffle cauliflower cheese <gasps> leeks peas roasted parsnips carrots roast potatoes um, oh my god I did... no wonder he sent you flowers yeah i did sea salt caramel tart and rhubarb and ginger ice cream and everything too so it's good it's good good old day oh my god <clears> that <throat> sounds amazing the perfect sunday so something i get asked all the time as a chef and i never have an answer to and um i'm gonna just turn the tables on you now and see what you say what is your signature dish yeah this is so difficult isn't people it people ask you that all, all the time, the time. Yeah. What's the answer? I don't know because I love eating everything. And yeah. I love cooking everything. But I mean, I think, you know, I'm really inspired by California and that kind of farm to table um, vibe of, yeah. of the whole of California and also the quite eclectic style of cooking you see in LA quite a lot. So I think some of my signature dishes would, or dishes which would define my cooking style is I do a very beautiful kind of crudite platter full of amazing different coloured vegetables um, with some really, you know, beautiful dips, which actually was also inspired by South France. What kind of dips would well, you do? Well, it's actually, if you heard of saint Consang restaurant in yes. Saint-Tropez, yeah. it's inspired by them. So it's a very light mayonnaise with lots of vinegar and black pepper and garlic in. It's absolutely beautiful. Yum. Uh, and then I do lots of things like crudo and carpaccios. So I do a lovely scallop carpaccio with mandarin, yuzu, basil and olive oil. That's quite 
that's quite a me dish, I suppose. Oh, but li- like colourful cooking, I like. Yeah. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. So, Sophie, where are your favourite places to eat in London? I saw on Instagram you went to Temper recently. Yeah, I just feel like at Instagram about Temper quite often. <laughs> it's actually the restaurant I go to more than any others. And I actually tend to not go, not go to many restaurants, which is so silly. Um, but, no, but it's hard when you're cooking all the time and you love yeah. cooking. I find it quite hard yeah. to go out to restaurants. I mean, I go to industry events, so I get to yeah. eat quite a lot better. But no, Temper is one of my favourites. Absolutely amazing. Um, Anything in particular? Yeah, I mean, the aged cheeseburger tacos are amazing. But I do also like quite classic restaurants. So I love Scots. And on a seafood trip, because I do love seafood, Bonnie Gull is very good. Oh, yeah, Bonnie yeah, that's excellent. Barrafino, I love. Jose Pizarro's restaurants, I love. Also, I saw, again, on Instagram, you went to Stevie Paul's new pasta yes, restaurant. really good. We had to eat oh. eight plates of pasta. Oh, again, feeling really sorry yeah. for you. <laughs> was it really good? Yeah, it was amazing. Oh, yeah. Especially his, this is just like for a kind of total carb overload, potato raviolis with a kind of jus and white truffle on top and an egg yolk. It was just amazing. Oh my goodness, I need, I need to eat that. That I sounds amazing. Like yeah. <laughs> Double carb is just living the dream, isn't it? <laughs> With truffle. I mean, yum. Okay, the sixth desert island dish of the day, and that is your go-to dinner party dish. Well, go to, like like I said, we tend to have all our guests for Sunday lunch, but if I am doing a dinner at home in the evening, you know, coming up this time of year, I, I love doing kind of big, a big kind of venison loin with caramelized shallot purees and wild mushrooms and celeriac and things like that. So, so kind of I do, I do tend to do everything family style in the middle of the yeah. table. I think that really works. Yeah, definitely. Um, or I might do some homemade pasta and something really simple like that. Or or we actually, because I lived in Beirut for a year, I often do kind of Middle Eastern dishes, so slow roasted lamb, pomegranate flatbreads, all that sort of vibe. But it's all very quite mm-hmm. hands-on, tactile food. Nothing plated. You can't do plated food at home. No. no. I feel like what we are learning through this conversation is that everyone is going to be clamoring for an invite to your house. (laughs) (laughs) That just sounds so good. So as a pro, what are your top tips for a dinner party? It's that you shouldn't bother plating. And I read in an interview that you said, if you're going to do a starter, make sure it's cold. Yeah, do a cold starter so you're not having to... Basically, the, the, the key moment is when your guests arrive and inevitably you're still running around cooking like a maniac and you haven't got anything quite ready in time. Yeah. If you're anything like me. <laughs> and uh, and so I set up a Bloody Mary station and a gin, gin and tonic station. Oh, yeah. Can so we that, also just mention the fact that you have a bar, have a bar. in your house, <laughs> which is the coolest thing ever. It's It works, you know. So we just, I mean, but even if you don't have a bar, I get a big tray and I put all the gin and tea bits and pieces and put some nice like juniper berries, rosemary sticks, all that sort of stuff. So people can, you can just send people off and say, go and make yourself a custom made gin and tea or yeah. Bloody Mary. It's, it feels chic, but actually what you're doing is getting them to go and help themselves drinks, which is great. Yeah. And then do a cold starter. And cold starter might, might be plated because you've got ahead of time a bit. So you yeah. can do that maybe. And then sharing platters for mains. And by the time you get to desserts, you know, no one cares. So you can just put it yeah. in the middle of the table as, again as well. Yeah. Um, and do stuff which you're confident to do and simple stuff. Don't try and overdo it because as much as you want to impress people, what's really not impressive is if you're stressed out when you've got your guests fair, you just want to relax. Your guests are actually coming to see you, not yeah. food. Yeah, there's nothing worse than cooking a dinner party. Everyone leaves and you're like, oh, I feel like I just worked yeah. because I didn't actually get to yeah, chat basically. to anyone. Yeah. So yeah, that's what you want to avoid. And it does happen. Yeah, definitely does. Also, do you feel pressure because you are a professional chef when people come to help maybe if you don't know them that well they come and they're kind of expecting your restaurant 
standard food. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of used to get really kind of like stubborn about this and then do ultimately really, really casual food. Just prove a point. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> no risk of it being restaurant food. So we'd get a big pile of mac and cheese or something yeah. like that. And the, the problem is I don't get invited to anywhere for dinner either. That, I know. That's people, what really gets I know, me. People get really scared, don't they? Yeah. 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 My mum even went through a phase of being like really timid about it's cooking funny, Yeah, my mum is too now. Cook me anything. But my husband always says to everyone, he says, you know, the fact is actually Sophie is so grateful when someone cooks for her, that she's really happy with whatever you give Yeah, her. I so think... There's no judgment. I think chefs are actually yeah. the easiest people to cook for. Definitely. You have loads of exciting things coming up with your book coming next year. Yeah. And what's next? So, well, actually, I've just signed up. I'm going to be doing Winterville on Clapham Common, which is an alternative to uh, Winter Wonderland. Oh. And it's run by the guys who do street feasts. So <gasps> it's all kind of really good food, big ice rink, all that sort of stuff, fun fair, um, secret cinema. So it's going to be amazing. And yeah. I'm going to be there quite a lot of time. And that's running for five weeks. And so. what it, what's the store going to be? Well, I'm going to do really festive stuff because I love Christmas. Yeah, I love Christmas food. So I'm going to do a, a kind of giant, insane turkey christmas burger so um buttermilk brined um turkey breast deep fried <laughs> so my eyes with kind of sage wide and well. kind of crust on it um then like a chestnut stuffing patty grilled pancetta bread sauce mayonnaise cranberry relish i'm debating whether to put cheese on it or it might be just a bit overkill i mean and then, is cheese ever a bad idea <laughs> then on the side we have like duck fat roasties with gravy dip and, and pickles. Oh my God. So when is this happening? Where can we find this burger? That's on the 23rd of November. That's going to be starting. So. I just don't know how you have time to do all of these amazing things. Like you're the busiest I, woman. Thank you. That's yeah. so funny, isn't it? I always feel like I'm being really lazy no matter okay. what I do. But um, I, you know, once you've worked kind of run a couple I mean, at one point in time we I opened two restaurants within a couple of months of each other and wrote two cookbooks in the same year and I think I was doing a good 60 hours a week at Belgraves so um after that I just feel like I've got loads of time on my hands all the time <laughs> so that's the secret to having loads of time yeah. just have a period in your life where you're so yes. busy yeah <laughs> that everything else will seem yeah. uh, smooth sailing Right, we're on to the last desert island dish of the day. And that is the last dish you would eat before being cast off to the desert island. And I should say, you are allowed three courses. Oh, that's good. Well, you see, I always say um, a big seafood platter in this debate because it's something that takes you a long time to eat and it would postpone being chucked on a desert yeah. island or, you know, death row dinner type vibe. But actually, if I'm going to be chucked on a desert island, I can get raw seafood coming out of my ears. That's probably. true. So I would go for a real humdinger of a kind of big, you know, roast duck and what would I like for a starter? Lots of chicken liver, maybe chicken liver pate and things like that. And big cheese course at the end. Just, you know, heavy food to yeah. get as much fat on. Yeah. <laughs> survive on a desert island, I suppose. It's always a good technique. Yeah, uh, yeah that sounds delicious. <laughs> and you're allowed to take a luxury item. What do you want to take with you? I was, instantly in my head, I think a truffle. Oh, it's not going to help, is it? We could take a big I could bag have of truffles. Really nice seafood I mean, truffle. Yeah, that would make life a little bit nicer. So yeah, I think that's a great one. Um, and other than that, I'd probably take a bottle of really good vodka or vintage champagne with me too yeah. to help. I'll, I'll give you a case. Great. Okay, great. I've got a case of booze <laughs> and a truffle in my pocket. Yeah. That'll be fine. <laughs> Smuggling a truffle. <laughs> and well, that's it. With that, we're going to cast you off the desert <laughs> island. Thank you so much. Thank Sophie. you very much. <laughs> 
Right, so I know what I need to do immediately. That pasta of Stevie Pearls, the potato ravioli with truffle and egg yolk. I mean, that just sounds like heaven on a plate. When I was in New York last week, I went to the Minetta Tavern, which really recommend, and I had the spaghetti Zaza, which was quite similar, and it was just divine. <laughs> divine. Not a word I use that often, but we'll go with it. Also, loving the fact that Sophie will go to the island with a truffle in her pocket. I mean, what more does a girl need? Can't wait to go and check out her food at Winterville on Clapham Common. The whole thing sounds great. And Sophie's turkey Christmas burger just sounds like something I need to eat ASAP. Check out the website, uh, desertislanddishes.co, for all the other episodes. And don't forget to come and say hi on Instagram at madebymargie. Uh, can't wait to read your five-star review. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, have a great week, everyone.